Marini's Media. Totally Football Show, Europe. All your continental football needs today. Think Casemiro and Moreno look good? Wait till you see their bigger sisters, Cazola and Benzema. But who laid it on more deliciously? We'll have the Pjanic Artur swap. Is it Artur understand? Our experts weigh in. We'll also discuss Robin back in the hood at Grunigan again, Syria's 40-goal weekend and the Bundesliga climax. All that and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. That's right, listener, they're back. The four horsemen of the continental Asocalypse. Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle, Alvaro Romeo, and Julian Laurent. Hang on, Julian Laurent? Jules, you're with us. Hey, James. I mean, you know, my, my season is over, but if you, yeah. if you need an extra guest, I can, I can always jump in. Nice, your season is over, and it's also just beginning again we'll, we'll touch on that yes. a little bit later on but it's going to be great to have your input on all the all the topics we'll be addressing as it will be of course great to hear from Alvaro Romeo and Raphael Honigstein and James Horncastle there and it really is the final countdown as we head into the uh, the key uh, weeks of the season for so many leagues around Europe because Bundesliga wrapping up this weekend listener by the way if you were one of the many people who sent in a question thanks so much loads of things to discuss from our uh, bulging mailbag. Uh, we'll be getting on to uh, your questions throughout the show. But let's begin, if we may, with the headlines from around Europe. James. We have a transfer between Artur and Pjanic to talk about. We've got uh, a title race that's still very much on, James, and some great goals, including that wonderful dribble from Frank Ribery. Woof, wasn't it good? What about you, Rafa? What are the headlines from the Bundesliga? Headlines from the last day of the season are Gladbach clinching fourth spot ahead of Leverkusen, Fortuna going down, Werder saving themselves, and Hamburg. Well, the less said about them, the better. Okay. Alvaro, what are you going to be telling us about? Well, we have a terrific title race in Spain with Barcelona fading away a little bit. Real Madrid uh, beating Espanol with a beautiful backheel pass from uh, Karim Benzema, which goes straight into the museum of uh, Real Madrid's uh, best ever highlights. Excellent. And Jules? Oh, we're right, on then. holidays, but not really on holidays, so it's cool. OK. Also, Ian Robin coming out of retirement. He called it a day in May 2019, and he's joined his boyhood club, Grunigan, again. I think he saw Ribéry was still doing it and just felt compelled to come out of retirement and do it some more himself. But not just in Syria. A, just really. at a higher level. <laughs> oh, righty. Great. So good to have the band back together. And let's begin then, Rafa, with the Bundesliga. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, make sure you check out their coverage of each and every Premier League club by taking out a free 30-day trial by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Right then, Rafa, Bundesliga 1 and 2, because one of the big stories on the final day of the season was the relegation promotion playoff, which will feature Werder Bremen, who snatched the playoff berth from Fortuna Düsseldorf dramatically on the last day. Rüsch, 
20. Minute. Werder, a side who'd struggled to score or win at home all season, remarkably coming up with a 6-1 win here over Cologne to take that playoff berth. How much did the fact that Cologne are Dusseldorf's neighbours help Werder Bremen? Yeah, hated neighbours, I think, trademark, uh, we have to call them. Uh, it certainly wasn't a hindrance on the occasion. Um, the resistance from Cologne, um, negligible. But Bremen really verded them, yeah, if you will. Their best performance of the season, leaving it very late to actually play some good football. It helped that they had their big players on the pitch. Fulkrug was back. Rashica was starting and was really in the mood. And also um, Yuya Osaka had a great game. So... A great performance from Werder, which gives them a chance to stay up in the relegation playoff. Fortuna, though, they really lost their nerve, unfortunately. They went to Union Berlin. Union had nothing to play for. They were very professional. But Dusseldorf, you just could see that just couldn't cope with the situation. And they went down 3-0. And unfortunately, that means that they're also going straight down to Bundesliga 2 again, which is a bit of a shame because they had been strengthened and, and improved under Uwe Rösler since he took over from Friedhelm Funkel. But too many draws, uh, just not enough to stay up, unfortunately. They'll face Heidenheim after fallen giants of German football. Hamburg blew it. Alex Cooney says, can Hamburg get a mention? They just needed a point at home to get to the promotion playoff. Instead, they lost 5-1 to Sandhausen. Yeah, I mean, we used to laugh about Hamburg, but I think it's gone beyond that. Um, it's just sad, really. Uh, they needed, as you said, only a point because Heidenheim, their rivals, managed to lose the last game of the season 3-0 at Bielefeld. So one measly point against Sandhausen, who are not exactly sort of the biggest team in Bundesliga 2, would have been enough at home. But they completely collapsed and lost 5-1, which... Is is hard to hard to understand and even harder to to deal with because this is now their second season which they failed to go up again. It was supposed to be just a, a brief hiatus until they bounce back, but um, they won't be. And of course, with coronavirus crisis, and it's not the best timing to have another meltdown. Uh, but they managed to do it. Hamburg tweeting about their own performance. If you can't beat Sandhausen at home, you don't deserve to play in the promotion playoff. Congratulations to Heidenheim. We can't put our own disappointment into words. Mm, yeah, not exactly magnanimous. Um, no, they didn't, I thought that was they, quite... Your position just beat you 5-1. Then you say, well, if you can't even beat Sandhausen, yeah, you couldn't even right. draw against Sandhausen because they beat you 5-1. So <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what about Heidenheim? Who are they? William Blake says, what's going on with Heidenheim? They're in the middle of nowhere. Have they had a huge cash injection or are they just unbelievably well run? Yeah, it's actually the latter. Um, they are not exactly in a, in a big place. Uh, Heidenheim is a, is a fairly small town. But in Swabia, there is a lot of industry and they don't have just one big backer, but they have sponsors and they're incredibly well run. And having Frank Schmidt, one of the um, veterans, uh, longest serving managers there, who's done some amazing work. And then Mark Schnatterer, their, their veteran uh, captain, they have somebody who's just run this team. I think, though, um, as much as this is a, a real exciting underdog story in the making, that when they come up against Werder, Werder's far superior quality. I mean, this is a side that fought for Europa League places 12 months ago, should really come out on top. I mean, nerves will be, of course, a factor. 
and Werder will be very scared to lose against only Heidenheim. That's how HSV would put it. But it's still a much better, much better tie for them than playing against Hamburg, who are stronger in terms of personnel and who also would have had the derby factor to this game, which would have made it very, very, very fraught. So I think Werder would be okay. Okay. Hamburg, the club who didn't hire Jurgen Klopp because he had ripped jeans at his interview. Is that right? That worked out well for them. No, he didn't even get an interview. Um, they sent a scout to to Mainz and the scout came back saying, oh, the guy doesn't shave. He wears scruffy clothes and um, he hasn't been on time for training, which the latter Klopp always denied. Of course, the, the first two points were very much true. But yeah, they never really quite, I think, recovered from that mistake, Hamburg. Okay. Meantime, into the Champions League, along with... Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, RB Leipzig are Borussia Mönchengladbach. First time back in this competition for five years. Crikey, it's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, Raj Cholan says, uh, Raphael, are Gladbach likely to keep their team together this summer with the likes of Turan player, Neuhaus, uh, Ben Sabiani and Zakaria looking so good this season? Yeah, I think it's still possible that they might sell, but I think the combination of coronavirus which really reduces the demand for players across the board, especially those who would command a reasonable transfer fee, plus the ability to generate more money thanks to the Champions League, I think will make it much easier for Gladbach to keep growing and to keep those guys. So for them, it's absolutely huge. Um, They, unlike some of the corporate teams in this division, like Volkswagen owned Wolfsburg or Leverkusen, who have buyer pharmaceuticals behind them, they have no uh, external investment everything is generated organically and through sheer good decision making over the last few years they've made it back into the Champions League so um, a hugely positive and an uplifting story especially if you consider just how much of a fan base they have this is the club that a lot of people still like and appreciate from what they did back in the um, latter half of the 70s and early 80s so it'd be great to see them back in the Champions League. Also on the final day, Rafa, Borussia Dortmund bowed out in style. They'd had that recent uh, 2-0 loss to relegation threatened Mainz, which had seen doubts resurface over Lucien Favre and their winning mentality. So how did they do on the final day? Even worse, they managed to lose 4-0 against uh, Hoffenheim, Andre Kramaric, uh, scoring four goals. The last one, a no-look penalty, which wasn't very good, but still good enough to beat Roman Berkey. And it's not going to necessarily create a full-blown father discussion yet again because Dortmund have already confirmed that they will take him into the third season and give him time to improve his result. But if you look at the quality of the squad and if you see that they actually had uh, seven points fewer than last year, it does, I think, point at least partially to the coach not being able to instill the kind of mentality and an emotional attitude that you need to win those kind of games at least not to lose them 4-0 which is hugely embarrassing and also rubbed Wolfsburg the wrong way because they were still fighting for sixth spot automatic qualification for the Europa League but now they're in seventh and they have to go through another qualification round. Just an observation about Dortmund because there are there are things this season to to be very enthusiastic about this team like uh, Haaland scoring goals like uh, Jadon Sancho scoring his first uh, hat-trick in Bundesliga uh, I think that Emre Can has been a good uh, signing too, but at the same time, last year, there was only a two-point difference between Bayern and Borussia at the end of the season. This season, there are 13 points between both clubs, and I don't know if um, the Dortmund uh, fans are going to accept that. 
I mean, right now the fans are nowhere to be seen, unfortunately. So I think a lot of these problems in Dortmund are the, aren't the only ones who I think ultimately disappointed are less pronounced and are less talked about in the open. But it is something that is an undercurrent and is something I think that is needling some of the fans that they feel that this squad should have been doing a lot better. If I can put Rafa on the spot, uh, because the Bundesliga is over now, and I want to know who his who his player of the year would be if he could if he could choose just one, and I would give him mine, because I think Joshua Kimmich had an incredible season, not not just for the goal he scored against Dortmund in in what was a key clash in that title race, and but I just thought Kimmich in that midfield role now is just one of the best in the world, if not if not the best in the world, and I was just wondering who Rafa thought. I mean, it could be Lewandowski, it could be Timo Werner, it could be Thomas Müller. I think there's a lot of candidates, but I was curious to see who, who Rafa would give it to. Yeah, well, all of them very worthy candidates and, and serious contenders for that accolade. But I think it's difficult to look past Robert Lewandowski with his 34 goals, um, you know, a figure that hadn't been achieved in, in decades. And uh, to score so regularly and also in other competitions when it really mattered, he's up to 49 goals now for Bayern in, in all three competitions. And he could still add a few um, you know, these are Messi and Ronaldo numbers, which you've never seen in the Bundesliga, certainly not since the 70s. So I think we have to give it to him. Just one more word, James, on um, I think the Bundesliga on the whole, they're very, very happy how things have turned out. I mean, Dynamo Dresden and Bundesliga 2, they were very affected by coronavirus. They missed the first two games and then never really recovered from the lack of fitness that they had in comparison with everybody else. So they're very much the victims of this restart, if you will. But otherwise... We didn't have anyone, you know, meeting uh, hookers, uh, at least to my knowledge, um, you know, breaking <laughs> a coronavirus protocol. Um, there were no, no, parties, nothing. no parties, as far as I know, no positive tests from prominent players, no teams being sent into quarantine apart from Dresden. So it's worked out, I think, a lot better than many of the critics had. There was that manager who went out and got toothpaste, though. So before you get all yeah. my money, <laughs> I mean, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that. That was the biggest scandal, which shows you that, you know, things... He went, went out well. for toothpaste. Come on. We're all grown-ups here. No, well, he um, did. Okay. <laughs> uh, Robert Lewandowski... Well, what what chance, are you saying? Robert Lewandowski, this is what I'm saying, will have the chance to add to his goal tally next Saturday when uh, Bayern Munich will take on Bayern Leverkusen in the Pokal final. And, of course, everybody's now hot and bothered about Bayern's chances in the Champions League mini-tournament later on. We'll discuss all that stuff down the line. But just to finish off our German section, can we press the Mario Gomez button one last time? Because he scored in his last game as Stuttgart got promoted from the Zweite Bundesliga. So this one's for you, Mario. Up next, La Liga. Hey, listener. As a follower of the Totally Football Show, you probably have a pretty decent amount of football know-how. What if there was a way of putting that knowledge to use? Well, there is. It's Football Index, a platform for betting on the future of the world's top footballers. Use all the information you've been sitting on since football went on hiatus. And now that it's back, build a portfolio of the players you think will rise in value and win dividends when those players perform on the pitch or in the media. You can download Football Index today on Android and iOS. And when you sign up using the offer code TFS20, you'll get a seven-day £500 money-back guarantee. That's the promo code TFS20. Terms and conditions are available at trade.footballindex.co.uk slash money-back guarantee. It's 18 plus only. Begamalaware.org. And please trade responsibly. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. ZZ still top. Real Madrid winning 1-0 at bottom side Espanyol Sunday night. Uh, the goal from Casemiro. But it was all about the incredible assist from Benzema. Tom Williams writing that Benzema assist was so good they should create an equivalent to the Pushkas Award for assists and call it the Benzema Award. Give it to Benzema for 2020 and then immediately scrap it. Whoa! Whoa there, Tom Williams, because immediately people are piling in with a bunch of other assists that could easily win that award, uh, including past ones from Guti, but also an absolute gem from Santi Cazorla just this weekend uh, to set up Moreno. Wow, what an assist this was. Well, now Zidane says, uh, not surprisingly, that Benzema's was better. What do you think? I prefer Santi Cazorla's one. Santi Cazorla con el balón que baja con nieve y eso que estamos por encima de los 30 grados aún así el toque es espectacular I think Benzema's one has made all the, all the headlines in Spain because Real Madrid is Real Madrid but Santi Cazorla just uh, basically kind of cashing that ball for Gerard Moreno wins the prize for me all that said uh, Karim Benzema has uh, done few things for Real Madrid in the last decade that uh, they are part of Real Madrid history already like for example a beautiful dribbling he did uh, to Godin and another two defenders of Atletico de Madrid in championships so Isco could score but this one from Benzema has been compared to another assist from a very classy player to himself, to Guti, uh, in 2010, I believe, when uh, he gave an astonishing pass to to Karim Benzema to, to score a beautiful goal. Maybe it was 2009, uh, no matter what. I mean, uh, Benzema has a lot of imagination, you know about that. Sometimes he's been questioned because he wasn't scoring many goals, but if you see his numbers at Real Madrid, they are more than convincing. And uh, yeah, the pass was quality for Casemiro and Real Madrid won again, which is the most important thing here. I mean, Real Madrid needed to win because Barcelona drew on Saturday. So Real Madrid are mm. on top of the table again, and uh, they've got like a two-point difference, which is three in reality, because in the head-to-head they beat Barcelona. Absolutely. The Benzema assist, if you haven't seen it, by the way, check it out. He's running away from goal and there's a backheel nutmeg of the defender uh, to, to set up uh, Casemiro. But the Cazola one's just astonishing. He volleys, he kind of side foot volleys it across to Moreno and then Moreno volleys it in. And the whole thing has, has come up from kind of the other end of the pitch without ever touching the ground before it goes into the uh, Valencia net. Anyway, as you say, two points now between the top two, with Barcelona facing a big game this Tuesday against Atletico Madrid. They drew 2-2 at Celta Vigo Saturday. They could have lost it, no? That astonishing miss by Nolito right at the end, Alvaro. Yes, Barcelona, they suffered a lot against uh, Celta. Uh, they managed to put themselves 2-1 up, but then uh, Celta just beat them physically and they, they got the control of the game in the last 20 minutes, in which Messi barely touch any ball and uh, yeah the injuries of Sergio Roberto De Jong uh, Busquets being out I think that they made a, a massive uh, gap in Barcelona's midfield and Celta took advantage of it and uh, yeah that goal of Diago Aspas in the 88th minute a beautiful goal uh, made the draw uh, in the game and uh, Barcelona just got themselves in trouble the, the game doesn't look good for many reasons number one because Barcelona lost an advantage they had but number two and more importantly because in the cooling break in the second half you know that uh, 
the managers have a chance, like in basketball, to give some instructions to the players. And the, the second, the, the assistant manager to Kike Setien, uh, Eder Sarabia, uh, went to, to Lionel Messi to tell him a couple of things. And Lionel Messi just ignored him completely, and uh, TV cameras just uh, got that. And uh, that doesn't look good on Barcelona, obviously, because uh, it is said that after that game there was like a very strong discussion between the training team and the, and the players. And uh, you could see that there was a little bit of a... Of a, of a starter of that uh, during the game in the in the cooling break. Mm. Ahmed Habab says, could Messi's ego be the root of Barcelona's systematic failure? Reminder, they are just two points off the top of the table. An even bigger problem, says Ahmed, than the shambles of the board. Is it ego run rampant that's behind all this? Well, I think that one of the main problems at Barcelona is that the directing board, they, they have made many decisions in order to please Messi without talking to him. So they are trying to make up what Lionel Messi would like and that's why they have tried to bring Neymar back and they, that's why they have uh, kept uh, players like Mascherano or uh, Luis Suarez or perhaps Pinto the former second goalkeeper for longer than they deserve at Barcelona and uh, it's why they, they're signing they, Pjanic as well because Messi's a big well, fan class. of Pjanic <laughs> has been kind of petitioning for them to sign him for years and now they've done it <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I'm sure that uh, Messi was very happy with Artur when he arrived in Barcelona, and I don't think that he will be that happy with him now um, on the basis of his performances in the last couple of seasons. But back to the question, I believe that somebody at Barcelona has to make big decisions. The squad is quite old, and uh, the players with more hierarchy haven't had any any player, any incoming players who could actually uh, challenge their status quo. Uh, nobody signed a player to challenge Busquets, Piqué, Messi and Suarez in the last four or five years. And this is the problem. So the players, they've got a lot of power now. And uh, Kike Setien probably wasn't wanted as a manager. Kike Setien hasn't been convincing so far. He hasn't persuaded the players that this is the right manager to uh, steer the ship in the right direction. And uh, I think that Barcelona is suffering from all these problems. They've got a huge intolerance to adversities during the games, as you could see in Anfield and in many other games. If something goes wrong, they don't win the game. And I think it's very difficult to win a league like this, but I think it's more difficult that they win the next league like this. If I were a Barcelona supporter, I would be more worried about next season than about this one, because in this one, they are still playing for Champions League and playing for the league title. How worried should uh, Setien been? I saw some reports that... Um he will be fired, that the players are not happy with his training, it's not It's not hard enough, it's not structured enough. What's going on? Yeah, that's true. And um, I think that Kike Setien will find it very difficult to stay, even though he's got a contract until summer 2022. But uh, the players don't seem to support him. Lionel Messi sent a message like back in March saying that playing like this it was going to be very difficult for Barcelona to win. Luis Suarez, right after the game against Celta, when he was asked about the pitiful uh, form of Barcelona away, he said, well, that's something that you should be asking to the manager too. And I believe that uh, there is clearly uh, a palpable discord uh, between uh, Setien and the players, and I don't think that this is going to end well. All right. And what about Gerard Piquet's tweet quoting management with, we were fated to pretend, full stop, to pretend? And the thing is that Gerard Piquet has been like the spokesman for Barcelona over the last couple of weeks. And at the same time, all his messages have been very vague. So this is the mm, level, James. Cryptic. And this, this is the problem with Barcelona now, that there is not an institutional message uh, because the president prefers not to talk because he's got a lot on his plate. 
and Kikers Etienne every time he talks, you could tell that he doesn't have the authority probably. And Gerard Pique talks even though he's not the captain of Barcelona because the captain is Lionel Messi. Hmm, interesting. All right. Well, James Horncastle, you mentioned it. The other big story touching on Barcelona at the moment is the incredible Artur Pjanic swap, which is a massive talking point for supporters all over the continent and accountants too, actually. It uh, it has to do with two players of enormous skill, but also Plus Valencia. James, can you briefly explain what Plus Valencia are? It's a capital gain on a asset that has been sold, in this case, the asset being a player. Um, and I think this works both ways for Barcelona and for Juventus because they will register on their accounts as they are lodged on June 30th, a profit uh, of between 57 and 62 million, depending on whether it's Pjanic for Juventus or Arta for Barcelona. So, yeah, I think on the one hand, you have financial imperatives, uh, certainly being a part of this deal, maybe even ahead of, 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 of need for the teams on the pitch, because it is more or less, you know, we can debate the... Uh, the differences between Artur and, and, and Pjanic as playmakers, as midfield players. Um, but you might say it is a like-for-like swap in some respects. Really? Because I, I, I feel like Juve are coming out of this way better. I know Artur hasn't had the best of seasons, but he's so much younger. It almost reminds me of when Barcelona paid Inter to take Samueletto off their hands. <laughs> yeah, I think Juventus get younger um, with this with this deal. On the face of it, he's a, he's a player who is more dynamic um, in midfield and yet um, has that passing ability that uh, Sarri wants in the team. Um, I think it's legitimate to look at Barcelona and say, not only with this, but with some of the other deals, they look like they're lining up. This this team is going to get old. It's going to have huge wages on top of the, the wages that they've already taken on. Uh, and it's going to make it very difficult for that for that team, for Setien or whoever's in charge to to progress it. Even if you know when Bartolomeo's presidency is is over, um, whoever takes 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 over from here is going to have a pretty j- tricky job turning it around. I think. I mean, this makes no sense football wise for Barcelona whatsoever. And we haven't even asked Rafa yet if Pjanic is a world class or a fraud. And it just, there's no, football, football neither, wise, neither, neither. football wise, it makes no sense apart from the account as James very well explained. Apart from that, from Barcelona point of view, it's absolutely a nonsense to swap Arthur for Pjanic. The, the sad thing is that there is no any sporting idea behind all this. It's all financial. Barcelona, when they signed Artur, they were looking for the new Xavi and they thought they, they had that player. I don't think that uh, Artur has met uh, the standards that he set for himself uh, in the game at Wembley against Spurs uh, back in October 2018, something like that. But I do believe that uh, he was a player that under the right management, he would have become a much better player. I think that Pjanic overall is a better player than Artur, but as you said, uh, the signing doesn't make any sense uh, considering you know the age of the players. One is 24, the other one is 30. Well, we talk amidst all of this that Barcelona have really lost their way. It's a huge game. Just finally, uh, Alvaron La Liga on Tuesday then as they take on an Atletico Madrid side who have uh, rediscovered a bit of form of late. 
Yeah, Atlético de Madrid, they beat Alaves last weekend. Uh, they are doing very well since the restart of the season, even though they started with a draw against Atlético de Bilbao. But uh, they found uh, in Marcos Llorente uh, a false number nine or, uh, or a Raúl García type striker that he's doing very well. Uh, he managed to get a penalty against Alaves the other day. And uh, Atlético de Madrid had many injuries uh, by March, and now they recover pretty much uh, every player in the squad. So they are fit, they are ready. And I think that this week is decisive for La Liga because the next two games for Real Madrid are against Getafe, who are doing a good season, not after the pandemic, but definitely um, overall. And uh, Real Madrid plays against Getafe, and in the weekend against Atletic de Bilbao away. And Barcelona will play against Atletico on Tuesday, and then against Villarreal. Probably Villarreal is all together with Real Madrid, the team in the best form in La Liga. They have uh, clinched uh, 13 points out of 15 uh, since the resumption. So... This week is very important for La Liga. Uh, if Barcelona um, has a couple of setbacks, La Liga will be pretty much decided for Real Madrid, who beat Espanyol comfortably on Sunday, beating them uh, 1-0 with uh, that goal from Casemiro. Excellent. Thank you very much, Alvaro. After this, let's talk about some other transfers and then a massive weekend of goals in everyone's favourite, Syria. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on the Athletic app. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, with the Pjanic, Artur, dream swap going through. What's going to be the next big deal? What's going to happen to Kavanijos? I'm still waiting to hear about that. What about Tango Ndumbele, who presumably is on his way from Spurs? Could he be going to Paris? What are the big rumours, everybody? Hakimi going to Inter. Has that gone through? And how massive a deal will that be for the Nerazzurri? That deal has practically been done, James. It's one that has been kind of kept under wraps really since mid-March um, when Inter kind of first got serious about doing uh, this deal. Um, it's quite surprising. Um, I'm keen to get Alvaro's opinion on this, that a year after allowing Teo Hernandez um, to leave, um, and he's been a big success at, at AC Milan, um, they're about to let another fullback uh, leave in Hakimi for another team. Um, in Milan because I think not only has Hakimi done pretty damn well um, at Dortmund um, but uh, I think this is a real statement of intent from Inter um, shows that they know what they're doing certainly know what kind of team or what kind of manager they're assembling a team for because I think the wingback positions has been one of the areas where Inter need to improve and I think Romelu Lukaku expressed that perfectly last night when Victor Moses got to the byline and was about to stick it across for him he didn't do it and uh, Lukaku said this Victor Moses now unable to pick out Lukaku so I think that's a fantastic deal from Inter and it's it's, I was going to say it's the kind of deal Juventus used to do and is more of a sign of the times that Inter are getting their act together but to be honest Juventus did a very good deal in January themselves when they signed Kulusevsky Um, so big news for Inter this Mm, same Direttore Sportivo, no? The guy who used to do those deals for Juve now, of course, had Inter. Yeah, exactly. Marotta. Um, you know, I think the uncoupling there over the last 18 months when Marotta was kind of pushed out in a reshuffle and then went to Inter, I think, yeah, Conte wouldn't be at Inter without Marotta. They wouldn't have made some of the signings that they did last year without him. And I think they're going to have a very ambitious summer irrespective of difficult and challenging circumstances because of the pandemic. You know, they're very much in pole position to sign Sandro Tonali from Brescia um, at the moment. So 
you know, I think it's going to be interesting if we see Bayern take up that option to sign Ivan Perisic in the next 24 hours. Rafa's shaking his head um, because that would give them a, another kind of uh, injection of cash to to keep going, not big, but certainly keep being ambitious in the transfer market. Now, City had time to raise four points between Juve now and Lazio. That's courtesy of Atalanta's stunning comeback against Lazio in the midweek round last week. Lazio bounced back with a comeback of their own against Fiorentina in Rome this weekend after a quite extraordinary opening goal from Franck Ribéry, Jules. Rolling back the years, really incredible piece of skill, the acceleration. I mean, it was just so good to see him score a goal like this. He had a lot of fun on the, on the pitch, you could tell. It's a shame that Fiorentina couldn't keep the win and even get a draw. And, and Lazio was certainly very strong physically in the last 20-25 minutes of the game compared to those Fiorentina players. But what a fantastic goal by Ribéry. At his age as well, to do that, it's just fantastic. Well, Lazio still on Juve's trail and there's a long way to go in this campaign. But can we just stop and talk about Atlanta for a bit? Because then again, this weekend, they did it once again. They, they were behind against Udinese and, and came back for a 3-2 win with some extraordinary extraordinary goals uh, Muriel in particular yeah I mean 10 goals in three games uh, since they've been back um, and I think what we're seeing from Atalanta is uh, in Muriel this, they have such a good bench to turn games back in their favour um, you know Muriel I think has not been a frequent starter this season even when Zapata was out injured um, they played Pasalic as a kind of uh, false nine or they went kind of strikerless when Zapata was out for a lot of that time. And uh, again, you just see the talent that Muriel has, which he hasn't always been able to express. I think he's already in double figures. I think even in the kind of efficient use that they've made of him, it's it's one of his best seasons, if not his best season ever. Um, and I think there, there are a couple of things to draw from this weekend which relate to Atalanta, which was you, you looked at that Milan-Roma game and how many Atalanta, former Atalanta players were in both sides and yet those two teams are kind of struggling to get back into the Champions League or you know duking it out for Europa League and then again Udinese were the Atalanta of the kind of the beginning of this decade with Francesco Guidolin and Alexis Sanchez, Handanovic, Benatia, Di Natale and everyone like that and yet here they are showing that you know, two of their former players, Duvan Zapata and Luis Muriel come back to haunt them. I think in some respects, you look at Atalanta's season, James, and yes, they are in the final eight of the Champions League and in one-off matches. You wouldn't put it past them to, to, to go even further in that competition and be a big surprise, even more than they have been at now. But you kind of look at it and think, should they not be in the title race, Atalanta? You know, I mean, had they not thrown some of the some points away at home earlier this season, you know, their, their record against the top sides is incredible. And, you know, we're, we're looking at a team that is going to set records for scoring goals. I mean, we haven't seen a team score this many goals at this stage since Fiorentina in the late 1950s, when, frankly, it was another sport. So, yeah, just incredible. Mm. Do you think, I mean, you mentioned the players that used to be theirs who were turning out for a Roma and Milan this weekend, and that has been part of the way that they've run their club so successfully this time around will they be able to hang on to this incredibly special team I think they will because you look at some of the deals that they've already done 
they've sold Dejan Kulusevski for 42 million euro, <laughs> which allows them to kind of keep this team together. They're on the no financial imperative to, to sell. They're going to be back in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the stories of this weekend was, you know, they already had um, a lead on Roma and the edge on heads ahead. And with Roma losing and Atalanta winning, um, you know, we were beginning to talk about them maybe even overtaking Inter. And, and making a fist of, uh, of finishing third again, which they did a, a, a few years ago. So, you know, from what I can gather, they want to keep that, uh, particularly that attacking trio up front uh, together. They're confident that they can do it. I think all those guys recognise that they're at a certain stage in their career where is there anything better than what they're doing right now with Atalanta? And I suspect, you know, whatever they do in the Champions League this year, I suspect they'll go into next season thinking, Let's put everything into a title challenge. Let's do it. Because I think as, as as long as Juventus is still a work in progress under Sarri, as long as Inter is still a work in progress under Conte, a team that's been together for four years, scoring this many goals, I think has a chance. Has a chance. Do you, do you really think they can? Because the, the, the issue as well, when they had, a, I think, four or five games without a win in a row, is because they were after Champions League games or between Champions League matches. And I think because of the way they play and the energy that, that demands, and they don't have the bigger squad either, do you really think they could play both in the Champions League and do well there and then in Serie A? Or, or do you think that maybe without the Champions League this season, they wouldn't have maybe lost against Cagliari, against Spal, against Bologna, and they would actually be in a title race without the Champions League? I think in some respects, Atlanta are their own worst enemy in that they only have one way of playing which is to to keep going, keep attacking from minute one to minute 90. And they don't always manage games well. Um, but this this is a team that always believes and they have every right to believe because they will always score goals. I, I think the squad is actually, in terms of a bench, let's, let's talk about a bench rather than a squad. They have got players who can turn games, which I don't think Juventus necessarily have had, even though Juventus has got a deeper squad with more talent on the bench. Um, they've got a better bench than Inter, I think, at this moment in time. We'll have to see how the next season's structured, where where the Champions League games will be played in in terms of the calendar. Um, whether we'll go back to something resembling last uh, that you know what we've had in previous seasons, or we'll get something this season where you get a chunk of Champions League games all played at the same time. So I'm backing them, Jules. I'm backing them. Damn. Tell you what, let's finish off uh, the City A section with this from Christian Vieri and Chums. Una vita da bomba. Life bomber style. What brought <laughs> this on, James? Well, this is uh, Bobo's entire persona. He is a, a bomber and uh, a, a bomber. If you want to use the the English term, which has been uh, adopted there. Is, is, is used for a goal scorer, but someone who scores not only on the pitch, James, but off it as well. So it's pretty much like a life as a player. And Christian uh, Vieri very much kind of uh, was that incarnate during his playing days. He's, yeah, yeah, he's very generously allowed his uh, current partner, Costanza Caracciolo, to be involved in this video because uh, mm. otherwise seeing, you know, uh, 10 women jump into a swimming pool, I think, you know, he would ha have... Had to face some pretty difficult questions when he got back to Casavieri after after shooting that video. Yeah, it's a very very woke affair this video, and mm. uh, and uh, well a banging tune for the Italian summer.
Hey, France. Jules. Uh, so they've confirmed that next season they're not going to allow extra clubs. That legal action thing hasn't worked out for Amiens and Toulouse. And they're already getting underway with preparations for the new season. Yes? Yes, you're right, James. Yeah, so first the legal battles, we expected it when the, the league was stopped and that Toulouse and Amiens were declared to go down. They were the bottom two teams uh, and that the two, the two teams at the top of the second division will go up, Lorient and, and Lens, and then Amiens and Toulouse fought it. The state council um, declared it. Actually, you should, you should review it if you're the league. The league reviewed it and the clubs voted that there would not be 22 clubs next season in Ligue 1, just 20. So that Toulouse and Amiens will have to play in the second division, which again, we expected it. And mm. it's a shame that it happened that way, but it was the only way that it could happen anyway. Has there been any more evidence in the, um, in the scandal about Macron shutting down the championship so that his team Marseille could get into the Champions League? Yeah, more more uh, more links between Macron and not just Marseille, but also Paris FC, which is the uh, the other team in Paris who played in second division, who were fighting against relegation in the second division. And turns out that uh, Macron is the godfather of the son of the Paris FC owner, that the wife of the Paris FC owner has worked for a very long time with Emmanuel Macron in his cabinet. So, you know, just those links that are so, so French. And, and so political as well. But that just makes you wonder, really, exactly how the decision was taken to stop the season, who really took it, and if it's really him. Like a lot of people are saying now that it's really Macron who took it and not really for sporting reason or not even for health reason. We will never really know, or at least not for a while. But yeah, it's, it, it's, it looks a bit dodgy just like this if you, if you just mention the fact that we know. Well, the league got suspended, but the cup finals will be going ahead soon. And I read that they might actually have supporters in the stadiums for them. Yes, that's right. They're really hoping that 25,000 people will be allowed in the Stade de France, which is an 80,000-seater stadium. So the social distancing there will be possible, I guess, put it that way. I don't know how they would let people in the stadium, but at least inside the stadium, if you have 25,000 out of 80,000, I guess... That's possible. And the French Federation, who again, I've mentioned before, but played an absolute blinder because the pandemic didn't really cost them anything. It cost the league a lot and the clubs, but in terms of the federation and the national team, it's, it's, it's pretty good, to be fair. So they will have their two cup finals, well, one cup final organised by the French Federation, the other one by the league, the League Cup and the French Cup, both in the Stade de France, PSG Saint-Étienne first and then PSG Lyon in the other one. And hopefully, yeah, with, with the fans. So all those clubs especially have started their pre-season, really, uh, after a bit of holidays for their players. And, and pretty much the whole of Ligue 1 and Ligue 2 as well are back training. OK. Well, those uh, cup finals will be a valuable uh, experience or game time for Paris Saint-Germain, who will be featuring in, in both of them, the Coupe de France and the Coupe de la Ligue. Uh, Loads of people asking, actually, what Paris Saint-Germain are doing to keep themselves fit and uh, maintain intensity, given that they're going to arrive, unlike everybody else in the Champions League final eight, they're going to arrive there with absolutely, well, very little preparation. Which is a big worry for, for Thomas Tuchel and, and the players and the people at the club, who clearly can tell it's a, it's a disadvantage, the fact that English club and Spanish club and and, and uh, Italian clubs will arrive with the momentum going, taking them from the league to the Champions League for Bayern. It's a bit, it's a bit similar in a way because they will have a month off between now and or between the cup final really and when the, the Champions League resumes. So 
PSG sees it as a normal preseason. They will have friendly matches. I think I believe one against Celtic, for example. They're hoping to have another couple of friendlies as well on top of the two cup finals, which would be big competitive matches for them. And then going into the quarterfinal of the Champions League in mid-August. But it's, it's far from ideal. And once again, you, you have to think that of the one season where they look pretty good in the Champions League, where things seem to go their way, then this happens. And, and again, they won't... Of course, Rafa, I'm crying because, you know, it's like, oh man, you know, I think it's a disadvantage that they might not really sort of recover from, depending on who they face in the quarterfinal. Jules, what about the players who are leaving? Will they stay until the end of the Champions League campaign or will they go before? I mean, I'm thinking of um, Thiago Silva and Cavani, of course. So Thiago Silva has agreed to stay uh, for two months. Edinson Cavani, who... Initially, the club really thought that he had agreed to uh, extend his contract of two months until the end of August. Eventually, decided not to take it, not to sign it. So he's still in Uruguay uh, in his field, as you as you might have seen. But he, he cuts his grass and feeds the sheep and kind of stuff. But he's not back in Paris. He doesn't want to, which I can I can understand in one way because he will sign a big contract with someone else, whether that's Atletico Madrid or Inter Milan. Newcastle, Boca Junior, whoever, wherever he wants to go. And, and maybe in those negotiations, those clubs would have had an issue with him playing and, and having a risk of getting injured in August, for example, which is a bit what we've seen with Thomas Meunier and Dortmund. Meunier signed four years for Dortmund on a free. And now Dortmund are saying, well, if he wants to go and stay with Paris for the next two months, he can, but we will need guarantees in terms of insurances. If he gets a big injury, we need money. We need money from PSG for us to, to loan him again to the club which Paris are not ready to do so that's not going to happen but you could see why if you're negotiating to San Cavani you don't want him to to play in August for another club so it's tricky I think Paris are disappointed in, in Cavani they're very happy that Thiago Silva is, has, has agreed to sign it and I think for a lot of clubs Timo Werner we've mentioned it before with Leipzig uh, and, and I think others as well this, this is an issue that I think was, was always going to bring some joy for the one who stay and for disappointment for the one who don't want to stay Do you think in general that the restarts and the way that the Champions League and Europa League are going to be concluded, do you think it's going to mean that we will have some real upsets, some some, some real surprises? I am not too sure that uh, not playing any competitive football is something that goes in your detriment, uh, like uh, PSG, because they will be playing some friendlies, true, and also they will be able to train and to focus straight into the three games that they need to win to be the Champions League winners, no more than that. Uh, whereas, for example, I'm looking at uh, some teams like uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona, and they already they already have injuries, but uh, all those players who may be tired have to be stressed and uh, have to be played even more uh, because basically <laughs> the players who could deputize for them are out. So I really don't know if it's better to be playing league football now or not, to be honest. I think the best possible combination is the Bundesliga one. The fact that you have played, then you take a week or two of holidays and then you are back into training like Bayern to challenge and to go for the Champions League. I mean, the the fact that the games will be on, on, on one game, a bit like in the World Cup, will obviously level the field because there's no home and away. You don't have to go to Bayern in the second leg if you if you just won one nil at home in the first leg, for example. And over one game, a bit like what James was saying earlier with Atalanta, I think a lot of things are possible, which I think will make the games very exciting. And and could you're right, could create upset if the lesser team, let's say, managed to have one amazing performance over 90 minutes and that's it and be a bigger team. Well, let's get some more of your questions. Uh, next up for James 
Frank's sidekick asks, uh, how much do you think Rino Gattuso can achieve as a coach? He's redefining himself as more than just a grinter merchant. Has he been underestimated by most? And also James Sisson asks, can Sampdoria go down to Serie B? They seem like they're competing in every game, but are always on the wrong end of the scoreline. Over to you, James. Well, did you see Ranieri uh, quoting uh, Blade Runner this weekend? Um, that, yeah, I think that was that was about some of the decisions that were made in the in the Bologna game. Uh, to be honest, they've had a tough start to the restart. Um, in that, um, you know, they've they've already played, you know, teams who are in the top six. Um, Bologna at the weekend, one of the teams that are kind of fighting for Europa League. Sam will be looking at the next run of games, which are predominantly against teams that are there and around them, and they've tended to do pretty well against teams also down at the bottom. Okay. Uh, in terms so one of, point in terms, off the drop at the moment. Yeah, but I, th- I mm. think they've got enough about them to take points off um, the, t- the teams that they're fighting relegation against. And there'll be a cracking Genoa derby because Genoa also down there. That's coming up soon as well. So uh, we'll, we'll keep you abreast of what happens there. As for Gattuso, yeah, I, th- I think, to be honest, I underestimated him when he got the Milan job because, you know, he'd, he'd been around second division Palermo. He'd been in Switzerland. He'd been in Greece. And he went back to Italy to coach Milan's under-19s. And he was talking about sort of blood and guts and, you know, sort of having a knife between your teeth. And instead, I think there's a lot more nuance to Gattuso. And I I think he's a kind of natural coach in the way that Allegri really likes him, for example. Allegri, And Allegri isn't someone who's big into tactics and theory. He's into having that kind of human touch and basically being able to have a sense for a game and how it's going and then make a change according to it and just creating a really good tightly knit unit. And that's apparently what Catuzo has done really well at Napoli. In fact, you know, I was told that Mertens was practically off in March and Gattuso, his role in getting Mertens to sign a new deal was absolutely huge. So I think, um, that, yeah, there's a lot more subtlety and nuance in, in Gattuso's work. Let's stop associating Gattuso the manager with Gattuso the player. Okay, it's going to be fascinating to see how Napoli get on in the second leg of their last 16 Champions League match against Barcelona, where those two clubs are going to be when that game comes around in early August. Rafa, don't worry, there's a couple here for you as well. Goulois in France, intriguingly, asks, what has gone wrong with Schalke this confinement season? What was it, 16 games without a win? And uh, here's another question from Adam Etheridge, who asks, what's a realistic target next season for her to Berlin with their new investment. Okay, let's start with a positive story first. I think that's very much Hertha. As you uh, said, or as the uh, the question um, suggests, there is a lot of money coming in, maybe even another uh, set of millions on the way. And we're talking about maybe 200 million euros that's gone into Hertha to, to really build them up. And the Bruno Labbadia, they have maybe not a transformative manager, but a manager who's very decent and I think who was going to improve them. We saw that already. And... For the next season, I think the target is very much European football, whether it'll be Champions League, I'm not so sure, because the teams ahead of them are just um, yeah, a little bit more um, ahead in their development and uh, also have a bit more money still. But yeah, Europa League as a base and then challenge for the Champions League places within two or three years. I think that is the realistic target. But then they still have to, I think, build a stadium because... The Olympic Stadium, for all its architectural grandeur and history, is not a football stadium and I think holds the club back a little bit. They want to build their own proper football stadium to generate more excitement. And Schalke, well, they were lucky to have a very good first half of the season where they were even in the Champions League contention, but the second half they collapsed. They had that one win 
in the first game after the winter break against Borussia Mönchengladbach and everybody thought, wow, they, they look so strong, but they haven't been able to win a single game since. And uh, it's been very, very poor from Schalke. All sorts of stuff happening around the club. A huge debate about Clemens Tönnies, who's the uh, head of the advisory board, who's the real power of the, of the club. Should he resign? You might recall that he made these statements about Africans. Uh, earlier in the summer and was suspended for three months but it was a bit of a kangaroo court in a positive sense because he himself suggested that would be adequate punishment for for this um, uh, really terrible statement he made and with no money and uh, David Wagner being very weakened ahead of the new season because they they have said they will stick with him but of course that's not the best way to to finish with 16 winless games something that hasn't happened to Schalke before you wonder if they're the next hamburgers foul in the making. Um, and it looks very grim for them at the moment. Mm, making hamburgers. Doesn't sound so grim at this end, but okay. Well, Clemens Tonius is, is an expert in that because he owns uh, big meat processing um, factories who've had a, a huge outbreak in coronavirus. Uh, and that's another reason why he's not exactly the, uh, the most popular person in Germany at the moment. Anything else you want to pitch in before we wrap it up? Alvaro, Jules, James or Rafa? Just well done to RB Salzburg as well, who won the Australian League, Olympiakos, who, um, who won the Greek League. Although mm. there's, there's tasks going on for, uh, in, that, in that league, in that table, but well done to them. And Bashak Shehir in, uh, in Turkey, who are slightly ahead of Trasbon Sport. With only they three are, games but the, they were last year as well, Jules. You remember, and then they, yeah. they blew it. They were eight points clear and they threw the title away. This time around after their 1-1 draw with Galatasaray, who are their Istanbul neighbours. They remain yeah. two points clear of Trabzonspor at the top of the Super League. They're neighbours, but apparently it's not a derby because Basaksha here uh, were only formed in 1990, so it doesn't qualify. So <laughs> exactly. does that mean PSG don't have derbies? Then? Uh-huh. And, and Maccabi Tel Aviv also, who have had an incredible season in, mm. in the Israeli League. Considering only eight goals in 33 or 34 matches in the league. Incredible. Yeah. And, and not losing at all. So well done to them too. You're right. Those are incredible stories, Jules. And one other thing, Rafa? Well, a lovely story is Ian Robin going back to his hometown club at the age of 36. He'd been persuaded by Groningen showing him clips uh, of his own game, mocked up like the last dance documentary. And, uh, you know, if anyone I think is susceptible to a bit of flattery, it's possibly uh, Ian Robin who feels that he's still in top shape to do it. But he is being honest and being sensible because he said, we don't know how long this might last. It could be only two months because he is, of course, slightly injury prone. Or it could go on for another two years. But it is very exciting. And I've seen already um, suggestions that thousands of Groningen fans have applied for season tickets simply because him uh, being backing, wearing once again the green and white shirt. I mean, he's not the only player to come out of retirement. He, he retired a year ago because Paul Scholes did this for, for Man United with a little less fanfare, as is his wont. Uh, but it, it's tremendous, tremendous to see him come back out and play. I mean, no one knows, of course, what he's going to do on the pitch, especially when he's on the right side. And it'll be a real mystery uh, to most of the defenders what, what happens next. But uh, maybe, he, you know, maybe he'll come up with one or two new tricks. 
he's been training back at the at the Bayern uh, training grounds when they he did a few Zoom sessions, didn't he? When when it was the lockdown and then when they reopened the training ground, he went there because he stayed there with the family after retiring last year. So he he must feel like he, he could possibly play a bit. And and like Rafa said, it depends how long the body will will keep him fit. But I mean, just for that, we can watch the first game of Groningen in the Eredivisie at least in uh, in September. He's been preparing as well the marathon of Rotterdam too, which doesn't exactly give him uh, football fitness, but he has kept himself under the right uh, weight and probably under the run the, under the right uh, physical parameters. So uh, let's see how he is physically, but uh, he has been definitely keeping himself busy. And they finished ninth last season, by the way. So with an iron Robin back to his best, imagine fully fit, they, they, they might even challenge for Europa League places. It's all very exciting. Brilliant. We'll have more of those kind of stories next week when we return with another European edition of the Totally Football Show. Of course, before that, on Thursday, we'll be with you again, rounding up the latest from the Premier League. I do hope you'll be joining us for that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.